Good afternoon. It's good to be with you this afternoon. You know, uh, the past month and a half or so, our pastoral team has been breaking the bread for us and opening the word on Sabbath mornings. And it's been a joy for me and my family to join you in the pews. And often get to do that, just, just be a participant. Just be someone who gets to sit in the pew. And I'm thankful, thankful for that, thankful for the opportunity, really thankful for a pastoral team who's diligently and faithfully brought a word week in and week out over the past month. It's good to be with you. Uh, you may have noticed today, or if you're watching uh, online or connected with us on, on Facebook, a little bit of a new look on our, on our bulletin. You may have saw that when you come in, you might have it in hand. Uh, it's part of a kind of a refresh on our image and our prints and media that we began last summer. And Pastor Ruben and his team have been working diligently uh, to, to bring this to us. And I'm excited that we've, we've got a refresh on our bulletin. And uh, bear with us, we're gonna you know, figure out how many we need to print and all those things and make sure that you have what you need. And I hope and pray uh, that you take this with you and stick it on your fridge. You know, we've got a, a prayer list on there that you can tuck it inside of your Bible, update that weekly, um, be praying for those on the list. There's events going on. You can hang it on your fridge and, and be reminded of the things going on. Of course, contact information and how to be connected and get more information is there. Um, but use it as a tool, use it as a tool. Uh, and some of you, uh, you know, may be wondering like, hey, how's the ankle doing, you know, since the Achilles injury, right? Thank you for asking. Appreciate that. Uh, you haven't had the opportunity to kind of size me up as I walk up the steps every week and kind of see how's he doing this week, right? Things are going well. I'm thankful uh, I, I'm walking better. Uh, you know, Pastor Ruben last week mentioned that we're physical therapy buddies, right? We've been going physical therapy together. And, you know, I, I, I can't say enough about him because as an associate, he said, you know what? You ruptured yours. I'm going to rupture mine so we can do this together. Well, Pastor Ruben, appreciate that. You know, there's, there's nothing like going through a challenging experience. There's nothing better than going through a challenging experience with someone else. So I, you know, circumstances probably weren't the greatest, but Ruben, shout out to you. Really appreciate that. Today, we launched a new series called Recalibrate. You see it up on the screen. Uh, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew, in particular, some parables that Jesus sell, says and tells about the kingdom of heaven. And this stems from our vision series back in January. Remember, I talked about uh, a, a vision of a community of prayer, and we spent the better part of a half a year looking at prayer. You remember your face when I said we we're going to do 13 weeks on prayer, and you're like, could we talk about that that long? Yes. We can, and we did, and we're better for it. But as we head into the second half of this year, school starting back up in a couple of weeks, we're gonna take a look at that second half of the vision. It's a community of grace. How do we do grace well? Could we do grace better? First half focused on prayer, second half focused on grace. And the reoccurring theme in the Gospel of Matthew, and part of the reason that we're gonna be here uh, for this particular series, is that Matthew mentions the phrase kingdom of heaven 32 times. It's a reverberating theme in his gospel. And the Bible scholars in the room know that there's 28 chapters in the gospel of Matthew. So you take 32 and divide it by 28, and you get one point, whatever, whatever, uh, passing math by profession of faith, right? Just about every chapter mentions the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. 
And it's the new reality that Jesus brings with him as he comes to this world. And we're going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter four this morning, this afternoon. If you've got your Bibles, you want to pull them out, open them up, turn them on, go to Matthew chapter four. Remember the context of this chapter? Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist, spirit of God descending. God speaks, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And we think about the wilderness being a, a place of, uh, uh, of, of weakness, a place where we cannot derive strength from. But for Jesus, the wilderness was absolutely a place of strength, not because of his environment, but because of the person that he was connected to. And his environment allowed him to connect a little bit better to his father. And out of this, Jesus launches his ministry. And we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 14, verse 12. We'll put that up on the screen for you. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and went to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. Jesus goes to the region of Galilee. And in some ways, you know, we think, man, shouldn't he start in Nazareth, his hometown? You can read later in the chapter that Nazareth just uh, kicks him out. They don't want to have anything to do with him. Why would Jesus begin in Galilee? Well, scholars believe that Galilee was an area comprised of over 200 villages with approximately 15,000 inhabitants that lived there plus a whole another crew that was transitory through that region. And you look at those numbers and you say, well, you know, Keen's about 6,000 strong, right? That's about twice the size of King. That's not very many people. You put them in a box, you can shake them around and it'll rattle, right? But for the area and for the time, this was a vast metropolis, a gathering of many nations and people in Galilee. It was a trade route that connected the known world at the time. And it was a place where people gathered. Jesus begins his work in the most densely populated area of the Middle East. Out of darkness, a light shines. When I was 10 or 11 years old, my family and I, we went to uh, Carlsbad Caverns, southern New Mexico. Anybody been there? Okay, good portion of you. I asked that in first service this morning and like half the room was like, we've been there. So this is uh, just your plug to go visit Carlsbad Caverns. Uh, next summer, because I guess school is starting. Uh, but Carlsbad Cavern is one of the, the largest systems of caves in North America. And you've got this path that you walk down into the caves. And as you get down in the caves, the light from the outside starts to grow a little bit dim. The pathways are illumined. And it's a fantastic place for a 10-year-old to explore. It's all, it's stalactites, stalagmites, all those fun things. And we go on one of the tours that the ranger takes us on and even into an even deeper part of the cave. And the ranger's telling us about what it would take to explore these caves, the individuals who first found them. And I don't know about you, but walking down a nice like paved pathway and steps is really reassuring when you're a couple hundred feet under the ground, right? I can't imagine just going into that place with some makeshift ladders and some rope and no map and a lantern and just kind of trying to figure out where this cave is. Hope that that next ledge is not the 1,000 foot drop off, right? 
when we get into this one room, I, th- I don't remember if it's called the, the, the cathedral or some large room. And it was probably the room was about the size of the front part of our sanctuary. And I was the only kid on the tour, which was great because I got to do all the fun stuff. And the ranger came up to me and says, I'm going to be talking in this room kind of about that experience. And there's going to be a point in time where I need the lights turned off. Do you want to turn the lights off for me? Yeah, I want to turn the lights off, right? So she takes me over to this little seat. And she says, you can sit right here. And I want you to feel where this, this button is. Look at that. When you push that button, the lights will go off. When you push it again, the lights will come back on. And I will give you the cue for when to turn the lights on. And by the way, here's a little flashlight just in case you lose where the button is. The button gets lost. You can find the button. So she goes through a talk and she's talking about it. And she gives the cue and I hit the button and everything goes pitch black. Put your hand right up in front of your face and you cannot see it, moving around all that. Your eyes could adjust for 10 years and you're not seeing anything in that room. And it grows quiet and people are kind of murmuring a little bit and you hear the Velcro on a, pop it, on a pocket go. And then a little canister come out and you hear it rattle around a little bit and you hear the ranger kind of doing a little something and all of a sudden, a match. She had lit a match in the middle of a room, this size, complete in darkness, all of a sudden is illuminated by one little flame on one little match. And everybody goes, oh, wow, amazing. In a room that's completely dark, it only takes a little bit of light to make that room illuminated. Now, if I were to light a match on stage today, um, it's not going to contribute very much to the, the lumens that are in this room, right? With the lights that are shining on above you and on me. But in that space where there was darkness, one match made all the difference. And that was Jesus in the region of Galilee. His light made all the difference. And he came to Galilee bearing a message. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. We continue on. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's a compelling message. Jesus says, you need to do something because the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent literally means 180, to turn around. The coming of the kingdom of heaven causes something inside of us to happen, that we must move, we must do something. And he's calling on the people, repent of your sins and turn to God. The kingdom of heaven is near. Turn from the rule and the reign of self, the way the world operates, and turn towards God. Subject yourself to the kingdom of heaven. We'll come to see in this series that the kingdom of heaven is not established with walls, but with bridges. It's about gates that are flung open saying, welcome, come all. The kingdom of heaven is within reach. The kingdom of of heaven is within reach. And I think that's a beautiful line out of scripture. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus coming to this earth, the God of the universe in the man Jesus has come. Heaven is now touching earth. The kingdom of heaven is within reach. Now, Melissa and I have learned a lot the past couple weeks about what within reach means. Micah's nine and a half months old. I'm going to tell a story on you, bud. He's hanging over here with grandma. Uh, but those of you that have had kids know that there comes a point that either you've got to be really determined on saying no 
or some things have to move <laughs> to keep your sanity, right? And I, I remember as this was a, a couple of weeks ago, I was feeding Micah breakfast. He got his bowl of oatmeal in front of him and there was a knock at the door as a family member stopping by to visit. And he was safely in his high chair and it was just right around the door, the, the, right around the corner to the front door. So I leave the bowl of oatmeal with him there and uh, I go around to the front door and, and greet the family member, they come in and I come back around to the table. I'm looking at him, he's looking at me. And there's no bowl of oatmeal on the table where I left it. What happened to my oatmeal or your oatmeal? He's looking at me asking the same question. It's like, dad, what are you going to do about this? Huh? So I look, it's like, where did this thing go? And I look underneath the table and I kid you not, I, this bowl of oatmeal was like a, a cat or something. It had landed right side up and nothing had spilled. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I look at him, he looks at me, he's like, well, you know what happened? Can we continue with breakfast, right? So I pull it back up and I realized that I had left the bowl of oatmeal within reach. And it's a game of inches now. I mean, the guy is like, you know, 25 inches tall, but like he's got to reach. It's like Michael Jordan or something. I don't know, he's got to reach. Within reach is taken, in, taken on a whole new meaning. The beautiful thing is that the kingdom of heaven found in Jesus is now within reach. That we can reach out and touch it. Because the kingdom comes with a person and his name is Jesus. And he's calling some people to participate in this kingdom. The story goes on, Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 22. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come to. Verse 22. Then immediately, they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. You know the story, you've heard this one growing up, the calling of the first disciples. Jesus is looking for participants and he picks two sets of brothers who are fishermen. Why are you picking two sets of brothers that are fishermen? Jesus, what's going on with this? It's common practice at the time for a rabbi to look for disciples. When you became a rabbi, you would look for people to pass on the, the teachings and the understandings of scripture and religion to somebody else. And so it wasn't uncommon that one day a rabbi might pass by you if you are a Jewish man and say, come follow me. It was a high honor to accept to be a disciple and an apprentice to a rabbi. And so for Peter and Andrew and James and John, this was their chance because no other rabbis picking fishermen to come follow them. Because of what they dealt with on a regular basis, they were low in, 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 in the system because of the fish that they handled and the lives that they stereotypically lived. But Jesus picked fishermen. Fishing requires courage. It requires patience, persistence, and flexibility. You've got to be intentional when you go fishing. I right? remember as a kid, like there's two times I think I've caught a fish in my life. And when I was like five years old off the back of my dad's boat in Alaska, pulled this big rock fish up off the floor. I had no idea what to do with it, right? Uh, another time, a uh, lake in New Mexico and I got this like little tiny thing to bite, right? And I've been waiting for like half an hour. It's like, okay, I caught a fish. I'm good to go. I'm, I'm not really a fisherman. I, some of you in the room probably enjoy fishing. Like, Kudos to you, the patience, the peace, the calm, like enjoy it. 
But I think what Jesus saw in these fishermen was just the gifts and the talents that he needed to be representatives of the kingdom. People, men who are willing to be courageous, patient, persistent, and flexible. The method may change, but the message never will. And immediately, they follow the simple invitation. The basic requirement for being a disciple to Jesus is to follow Jesus and to continue following Jesus. That's the minimum requirement. No training, no no preparation is needed. No, God calls and we answer. I like how J. Knox Chamberlain puts it in Matthew, a mentor commentary, page 293. Jesus will equip these fishermen to advance God's rule, not their own. Jesus is the one that would equip them to transform the gifts and the talents that they had to be fishers of men instead of fishers of fish. The truth resounds. You don't need to know all the details when you are with the one you trust. There are certain people in your life that they give you an invitation. You ask no questions, you join them for whatever adventure might hold. You don't need to know all the details when you're with the one you trust. And Jesus continues his ministry, verses 23 and 24. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick and whatever their sickness or disease or if they were demon possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed all of them. Jesus' ministry was defined in three ways, preaching, teaching, and healing. Jesus, through preaching, boldly and clearly proclaimed the good news of the gospel, heralding. And when a herald comes and when a herald proclaims, you better listen. They've got something for you to hear. Through teaching, Jesus would clear up misunderstandings. The disciples would hear him preach one thing and then come to him and say, Jesus, did you really mean what you, what you said you meant on, in the Sermon on the Mount and about this and about that? And Jesus was able to teach. If preaching is about appealing to the will, teaching is about informing the mind and then healing, making people well physically, emotionally, and mentally. Kingdom ministry embraces preaching, teaching, and healing. Through preaching, teaching, and healing, we proclaim a never-changing gospel in an ever-changing world. If our church is to be relevant in this day and age, we must preach, we must teach, and we must heal. And by the way, those three things are not relegated to just the pastoral staff. Amen? I heard some of our pastors say amen. Amen. This ministry is for us to preach, to teach, and to heal. Everywhere we go, we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Everywhere we go, we teach others what it means to follow Jesus. And our hands and feet bring healing to the nation. How do we participate in this in our community? Well, we come together and worship every week. We, we have Sabbath schools where we study and edify one another. Have you heard about the food bank? We have once a month. We serve our community. And by the way, we're looking to expand that. We're looking to go beyond these walls and actually make a difference in our community. That if we were to shut our doors, there would be outrage because of the ministry that flowed through the pews and through the streets and through the doors and the walls 
coming from this body of believers. Ellen White puts it this way, Ministry of Healing, page 25. Christ came to this world to show that by receiving power from on high, man can live an unsullied life. With unwearying patience and sympathetic helpfulness, he met men in their necessities. By the gentle touch of grace, he banished from the soul unrest and doubt, changing enmity to love and unbelief to confidence. That was the touch of Jesus. It was a touch of grace. That if someone was in need, it would make a difference. You see, it matters what we say and what we do. Whether in interpersonal conflict or relationships, we're meeting face to face with someone, or whether we're online and social media and being a keyboard warrior, do we have a touch of grace? What we say matters. Do we bring with us a touch of grace that moves, uh, that, that banishes from a soul the unrest and doubt that they may be feeling? Does it change enmity to love and from unbelief to confidence? We must take inventory. Does what we say and what we do come with a touch of grace? We must, we must ask ourselves the question. Story continues, Matthew 4, verse 25. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the 10 towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, from east of the Jordan River. The message that Jesus preached about the kingdom of heaven was compelling and relevant to the generation in which he lived. To the point that people from all backgrounds, from all over the area, from all over the then known world, flocked to hear Jesus and to follow him. The kingdom of heaven, the good news of grace is for everyone. Jesus did not turn a soul away. The kingdom of heaven and the good news of grace is for everyone. Everyone was following Jesus. Chamberlain again in the mentor commentary of Matthew. From the very inception of his mission, therefore, the Jewish Messiah is declared to be the savior of the Gentiles as well. Already it is becoming clear that one day he will reign over all the kingdoms of the world. And Ellen, again, Ministry of Healing, page 25, Christ recognized no distinction of nationality, of rank, or of creed. The scribes and Pharisees decided to make a local and national benefit of the gifts of heaven and to exclude the rest of God's family in the world. But Christ came to break down every wall of partition. That's who Jesus is. And in a world that then was defined by city walls. If you were inside the city walls, you were safe. If you were outside, you were not. Gates can mean comfort or they can mean great despair depending on which side of them you were on. When the new Jerusalem comes down to this earth and God plants his headquarters on earth as the new center of the universe, Scholars in the room will carefully note in the end of Revelation that the gates to the city of God have been decommissioned. They're big giant pearls and they never close. Not because God ran out of WD-40, but because he's king of the universe and he welcomes all into the family of God. That is the heart of the kingdom of heaven.
And we can spend time analyzing metrics and best practices about how we do this. We're going to do a sermon series on what it means to be a community of grace, looking at the kingdom of heaven. But at the end of the day, what we must do is lift up Jesus and extend grace. Lift up Jesus and extend grace. Jesus is looking for participants in that kingdom, participants who will show up and who will love and who will love well. Remind you every week, love, connect, share, living God's love. The way Jesus' kingdom was promulgated through the entire world was not by a heavy hand of iron or a dictatorial leadership. No, the way Jesus perpetuated his kingdom in the world is to invite participants to be co-workers with him in expanding the kingdom of God. And the invitation to us is extended, will we participate? I love the image that comes in Psalms chapter 23, verse six. You know, Psalms 23, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The end of that verse says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I used to think that that particular passage meant that as I am led by the good shepherd, that every little bit goodness and mercy and unfailing love are gonna come upon me. That's not what this passage is saying. That's, that's true. It does happen, but that's not what this passage is saying. Because when you're taking care of sheep and you're a good shepherd, a good shepherd that is taking care of a flock of sheep will leave in the wake of where those sheep have gone. The pastures and the green fields will leave them better off after they have gone through than if they had never gone through before. That sheep that are well taken care of, leave behind them a wake of goodness and mercy and unfailing love. And for Jesus, see hobnobbed around in Galilee and spoke about a kingdom and invited people to participate. A wake of goodness and mercy pursued him. That behind him, he would leave behind villages that were completely healed, that were completely well. There was no infirmity among any of them. And they'd come to understand that Jesus is who Jesus says he is and that Jesus will do what he says he'll do. So, King Church, in everything that we do and say, do mercy and goodness follow behind us. In our interactions, the way that we treat one another, those who are inside of these walls and those who are outside of those walls. Do mercy and goodness follow in our wake? It's my hope and prayer that they will. Because if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do, the kingdom of heaven is for those that are in need of grace. Just like you and me that are in need of a satisfying, something to satisfy the soul. And Jesus himself is now within reach can reach out and touch. What about you? But I'm in need of a little grace. And I imagine you are as well. We began this morning talking about light. Jesus, a light in the darkness. We have a message to carry, to preach, to teach, and to heal. What about you? That little, little matchstick, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. I'm gonna let it shine.